Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators, a community of math teacher educators learning to teach math teachers better. I am your host, Joel Amidon. Today on the podcast, we are remembering Tim Hendricks. On July 16, 2023, AMTE lost a dear friend and an extraordinary member when Tim Hendricks passed away from cancer. Tim Hendricks was AMTE's executive director from 2014 to 2020 and was a 2022 recipient of the Nadine Bezuik Leadership and Service Award. He was beloved for his kindness, his caring, his creativity, his passion, and his wide array of interests. He will be deeply missed. Those words were written by AMTE past president Randy Phillip and shared with permission. As a way to remember Tim, we have decided to rebroadcast an episode of the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast that was published on February 22, 2022, where Tim shared his experience and expertise as a mathematics teacher educator, and he also shared some of the lessons from his talk that was a part of him being honored with the Leadership and Service Award that I just mentioned. Before we play that conversation, here are several quotes that were shared with AMT leadership about Tim Hendricks. One colleague said, What struck me most about our during our time working together is Tim's lack of ego and willingness to work through difficult circumstances with a mix of pragmatism, hard work, and kindness. One friend shared, Tim did all of the work, all of that work with graciousness, kindness, a sense of gratitude, and much skill as a leader. He tackled sensitive topics with empathy. He used his problem-solving skills continually for the betterment of the organization. Another colleague said, Tim's passion for mathematics and for high-quality math instruction was evident in all his work, and his genuine care and concern for people made working with, with him a true pleasure. Another friend shared, Tim saw the positive in people and in situations. He didn't have rose-colored glasses on. He knew everyone had flaws, but Tim exemplified the asset-based thinking we often strive for in teaching and learning. Another colleague shared, As someone who carefully compartmentalized and curated the different roles in my life, I appreciated how Tim showed me the power and the glory of being able to be who we are in every moment with each and every person and in every interaction we have in the world. Finally, a friend shared, To know Tim Hendricks was to love him. Thank you, dear friend, for being there for me. I will truly miss you. As you can see, and, and as Randy shared in his statement, Tim will be deeply missed. And what's cool is, I guess, is we get a chance to share some of his, some of his words of wisdom in this podcast episode. But, so without further delay, here's a rebroadcast of the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast from February of 2022 with former AMTE Executive Director Tim Hendricks. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators, a community of math teacher educators learning to teach math teachers better. I'm your host, Joel Amidon, and with me is my co-host, Dusty Jones. And Hello. today, hey, Dusty. Today, we are talking with someone really special, Dusty. We have Tim Hendricks with us, who is an associate Hugs. professor of mathematics at Meredith College in North Carolina. We are talking to Tim for a number of reasons. One... He is a former executive director of AMTE. Two, he was recently awarded the Nadine Bezuk Excellence in Leadership and Service Award for his service that has made a significant and lasting contribution to mathematics teacher education, both directly and indirectly. And three, he's just a darn good guy. Welcome, Tim. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. If I seem a little uh, 
uh, distracted. I'm just amazed at how quickly, Joel, you turned from your natural speaking voice to the rhythm and tenor <laughs> of an announcer in your <laughs> announcing voice. I love it. Uh, it's great to be with you guys today. And I think I might have put a little emphasis on the Carolina or something like like a little little little, little accent on it too, maybe you know. In the well, conversation, got to work on that that Carolina accent. You yeah. know, it's different depending on what part of the state you're from. I know. So. I'm probably dancing in dangerous territory, but um, Dusty, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, Joel. Doing great. Awesome. So this is uh, we're we're post conference and we're having a conversation, and we wanted to have. Tim on, uh, especially to talk about a talk that he gave on, but we also want to get a chance to tap into some of the experiences and things that y- you've done and, exp- uh, and some advice you've received really want to give access to folks that maybe don't know you all that well, Tim. So can you take a minute to yeah. introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I am North Carolina born and bred. So if you do hear a North Carolina accent or something that sounds like a Southern accent in there, I come by it honestly. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Northwest North Carolina. I grew up with a mother who was a mathematics teacher for 42 years. So I come by that honestly as well, not genetically, just honestly. (laughs) Uh, And uh, let's see, I did my undergraduate at Wake Forest University and I have sort of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde background. I have undergraduate degrees in both math and music. And I uh, went off to graduate school at University of Illinois and did sort of two-thirds of a PhD in theoretical mathematics, and then I did my master's in music ed and instrumental conducting, and eventually I came back to the U of I and did a PhD in math education, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. So Awesome. Well, so that's, that's just interesting. Like, just, I didn't know, I mean, I remember we were having a conversation in the conversation about the music background, but I'm, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about that. But so, but how did you start teaching math teachers? And, and I guess, uh, what, what was that path? Well, it's, it's really interesting. So uh, as I said, I was about two thirds of the way through a PhD in theoretical mathematics and same time working on a master's in instrumental conducting. I had this catharsis. I thought I was going to be a college band director. Uh, And to do that, I was working as a TA. I was TAing in a math department and TAing in the band department at the same time. And to be a college band director, you need to go be a high school band director for a little while. So I took a break after both masters and I went and taught at high school, high school band, choir, and algebra and calculus <laughs> so it was a little <laughs> crazy wow. being hired as a high school band director and then uh seeing the need that they had for additional mathematics instructors some people had left and so i was back teaching mathematics again and helping my band kids with their upper level math classes mm-hmm. and uh Really seeing the colleagues, I had some great colleagues at the high school where I taught, uh, but I also saw that uh, they were really, their preparation for teaching mathematics was all across the board. Uh, and I found myself helping them both with content and spending a lot of time talking with them about ways to teach and uh, sharing ideas and thinking about ways to teach and learn mathematics. Uh, so I decided to go back to graduate school, and I went back to graduate school ostensibly. This sounds absolutely nuts, but <laughs> I, uh, I was actually going back to graduate school, and I, I had the, the goal that I was going to do a Ph.D. in math ed and a Ph.D. in music ed, both at the same time. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> Be like the and, astronaut type of person who gets... <laughs> yeah, wow. 
It's crazy. Uh, University of Illinois uh, disavowed me of that idea very quickly. They said, <laughs> listen, dude, you have two masters from us. We're only going to confer one more degree. You got to pick. <laughs> and so I, it, to be perfectly honest with you to this day, I'm not exactly sure why I chose math education over music education, but I had this sort of intuitive sense that that's what I should do. And two weeks later, I found myself at the beginning of the semester uh, teaching a first course for middle and secondary pre-service math teachers in a classroom with 50. Yes, you heard that right. 50 wow. pre-service juniors wow. and seniors, uh, pre-service middle school and high school math teachers. And you know what? Very quickly, I, I said, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And as much as sometimes we refer to our career path as a calling, I sort of felt called. I said, okay, I found my home uh, and I really enjoyed it. So that's how I began, at least, in, in starting to teach teachers math. So all the way through my graduate program, my PhD program, uh, I was teaching and working. And actually, I became the advisor for the secondary math students there at Illinois uh, through that time of my PhD. So... Wow. That's how it started, at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, and I guess, you know, Dusty, we got to take advantage of somebody that went that close with thinking about, you know, leading the uh, leading the band and, and doing uh, music education and math. So, okay, you probably thought about this. You know, like, what, what are the connections? What are what are you seeing? What are the what are the things that, you know, maybe that that part of your education has really helped you in teaching a math teachers? Uh, you know, it's interesting. And people uh, from different perspectives have asked, you know, what are the connections between mathematics and music? And there are lots of directions you can go there. Mm -hmm. Music is very mathematical than some, if we look at it in some ways, uh, but also mathematics is very musical in some mm -hmm. ways as well. Uh, there's a structure and a form, and there's also a lot of creativity. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think we can have good conversations about the, the connections between mathematics and music. This is probably the first time anyone's asked me to make the connections between music ed and math ed. So I'm yes. impressed with that question. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think it's interesting. Uh, I, I had some fantastic mentors in music education. Um, and I think yeah, I'm thinking on my feet now. I, I, this is not anything prepared because you didn't ask me this question ahead of yeah, time, doggone it. Um, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> But you know what? Uh, some of the lessons that I've learned in teaching mathematics teachers, I learned from some of my music ed mentors mm -hmm. um, about uh, both on sort of the structural end of things about being organized for success, as well as uh, trying to find, meet the person, the student where they are mm -hmm. and empowering them to get to the next level of where they want to go. Uh, and I think some of those lessons cross discipline, certainly from working with those who are going to be musicians and music educators to also working with those who are going to be mathematics educators. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah. You know, Tim, when you were uh, giving your talk at AMTE just a few weeks ago, um, mm -hmm. you mentioned that you were a church musician. And I'm wondering in this alternate realm where Tim Hendricks uh, chose music education as his PhD. If he would then get some sort of award and give a talk in 20 at alternate 2022, where he said he was a church mathematician uh, as well. 
you know? <laughs> well, I have done sessions for my local community congregation on for parents about, you know, questions about what is this mathematics my children uh-huh. in elementary and middle yeah. school are learning and how they're being taught. And, and so actually our faith community has actually embraced having some sessions for parents and community mm-hmm. members about that. So yeah, we have done a little bit of math at the church. <laughs> That's great. That's great. That gives me some ideas of how to further integrate my life in some different ways. That's great. Thanks, Tim. We cool. can go really down the down the path here of like we're in the multiverse and there's the other <laughs> Tim. Oh, yeah. we're, we're, we're just on the edge. <laughs> we need some uh, special effect music yeah, yeah. we're going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Uh, can I be played by Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, yeah, um. say, yeah. <laughs> Dusty beat me to it. I was like, Dr. Shane okay. has got to join the Zoom. All right. Um, so Tim, you know, and again, uh, a lot of history here with thinking about the teaching of math teachers. So when you started, what, what would you have liked to known when you started? So what was the best advice that you received? Well, I thought about this a little bit. Uh, I'm loath to admit this, but I have to admit it. it it's just true. Uh, when I started working with pre-service teachers, teaching math teachers, uh, I think I had been fairly successful in teaching mathematics to that point. And I had already realized by the late 80s, early 90s, that uh, the most effective mathematics instruction was not opening up their heads, pouring in lots of mathematics content, stirring it up as if it were a cake recipe, Mm -hmm. and seeing what popped out at the end. Uh, But I don't know that I had learned that about teaching math teachers. <laughs> and so I think I needed to learn that lesson as well, that I couldn't pretty be prescriptive uh, about teaching mathematics teachers in the same way I couldn't be as prescriptive about teaching mathematics. Um, maybe a little bit more clear. I, I think if I were honest, maybe when I first started teaching math teachers, I was trying to create mini-me's. Mm. Uh, in the same ways that traditionally we've taught mathematics by here's the way I learned it and understood it Mm -hmm. can replicate what I've done. Right. And I think I was trying to do the same thing, go replicate what I've done in learning to teach mathematics. But very early on, there was a situation that really taught me an important lesson. I had a, a young uh, student who was in a field placement and her mentor teacher was an excellent showman. Do you know that teacher who uh, can teach effective in lots of different ways, but their personality is a show person on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't matter what strategy they're using. They're, they're, they're quick with one liners. They're quick with jokes. They have a great stage presence, if you will. And this student teacher was not that person. Mm -hmm. She was much more thoughtful, serious, and pensive. And what I saw her trying to do was she was trying to be her mentor teacher. And guess what? It was not working. And I realized that my job is not to help her become someone or something else, but it was really to empower her to find who she was, what was her identity as a teacher of mathematics, as a learner of mathematics, and then to help her develop those skills to be an effective teacher and learner of mathematics with her students. And, and that changed the way I approached all of my students from that point. 
Um, So I don't know that it was necessarily a piece of advice someone gave me, but I think it was that realization that I wasn't out to help them become someone else. I was helping them find their identity and develop within that identity as a mathematics teacher. Nice. Well, I, and I guess extended. So, it, you know, we, you have the second question now is what advice would you give to someone starting on this role? Would it be that, or would it be, would, did you have other piece of advice you'd give them? <laughs> uh, I think that's an important part of it. I, I think that uh, we've learned that in our field, in our discipline in mathematics, teacher education, I've seen that evolve over the last 25, 30 years that we're much better at helping students develop their teacher identity uh, Mm -hmm. to discover what their strengths are and then how to develop those strengths to become effective teachers and learners of mathematics along with their students. Um, I I guess there is a second piece of advice. It sounds really simplistic, but I'm, I'm going to throw it out. And I did learn this early on too. Um, because I think it speaks to where we are today and it actually can speak to sort of each error we've had in, in mathematics education in the last oh, 20 or 30 years, maybe. Um, if we want teachers to teach mathematics differently than perhaps they experienced earlier in life, then they need to experience learning mathematics in that way we want them to teach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it sounds like a very obvious sort of truism, uh, But, you know, I I think about the different epics, if you will, we've had in math ed. If we want teachers to teach through problem solving, I learned early on that they need to experience learning significant (laughs) mathematics, not just contrived examples, but they really need to grapple with learning some mathematics through problem solving. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we want students, if we want teachers to teach in a collaborative learning, they need to experience learning mathematics right. in a significant way in a collaborative setting. Um, if you know, we can take this through every era if you want. If we want teachers to uh, use high cognitive tasks and use sort of the five practices model of generating discussions in class and building discussions around those high cognitive tasks, well, we need to provide them experiences for learning in that way. Um, And to take it to the nth degree, I think the thing that's the most important for us today, uh, if we want teachers to teach for social justice, Mm -hmm. then I think it's important for teachers to learn mathematics about social justice. They need to have those same learning opportunities. And if we want teachers to provide safe spaces uh, where students learn mathematics in environments that are equitable, diverse, just, uh, then I think it's incumbent upon us at the higher education level to provide our students with that same type of learning environment to learn mathematics at the college level in an environment that is diverse, equitable, and just, so that it becomes part of their persona, part of their identity, they identify that with learning and teaching mathematics. Uh, so, yeah, I think that would be my advice that I would pass along. I love it. Like thinking about the words, I mean, these words that we, you just threw out, like how do we actually see what these look like? And I'm going to show, um, we're going to, we're going to experience it together in this, you know, teacher education space. And so right. then it's not something that's yeah, just words. And cause we, we hear a lot of words and like, do we actually see what it means? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Along with that, I, I guess uh, it sounds obvious, but be authentic, uh, be your true self, 
Uh, mm-hmm. Even if we don't want our students to try to be someone else, we want them to find their own identity. One of the best ways they find their identity is seeing us sort of live into and own our identities as teachers and as teacher educators. Uh, and certainly they may model some of those things and pick up on our interests and our passions. Um, but I think they, that when they see us sort of own our identity, it helps them to own their identity as well. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've got lots of bits of advice. Can I share one more with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Sure>. Let's go. <laughs> one of my favorite, cause I want to give tribute to someone who is very important to me here in North Carolina. One of our mathematics educators who supported math, uh, math teaching has been Jean Joyner. Uh, if you didn't know Jean, Jean's retired. She led the uh, writing team for the pre-K through two standards for principals and standards of school mathematics. Oh, wow. Uh, and was the uh, math supervisor for the State Department of Public Instruction here in North Carolina. And then in her retirement, she... Uh, worked on several NSF grants and Department of Education grants supporting teachers and professional development learning. And I can tell you, I cannot tell you the hundreds of teachers that went through professional development with Jean and some of her grants uh, and the, that they have gone on to be teacher leaders. And some of them are now our colleagues here in AMTE. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the one of the mantras that Jean always told school teachers, and I think it applies to all of us, is to put a sign somewhere in your room. It doesn't matter if the students see it or not, but if that you can see it pretty clearly, and it simply should say, who's doing the thinking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're not the one, if you're the one doing all of the thinking, then maybe we're not doing our job as mathematics teacher educators. If we want our students to be thinking about the enterprise of teaching and learning mathematics, then I need to make sure that I'm not the one doing the thinking for them, that I'm providing them opportunity and space and challenge in a provocative way to do the thinking. So um, that's something I picked up from Gene, and uh, I hope I remember to use that for the rest of my career too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Just, yeah. And like when we get, we, we like steal the punchline and like, oh, we've stole all the thinking from some messy task. Like, oh, here's how you do it. And like, no, like, how do we, how do we let the students take leads on that? Excellent. Love it. Yeah. Dusty. Let them own it. Yeah. Dusty, yeah. That I, reminds me of like uh, what I was doing in my class just earlier today. Um, mm-hmm. We're talking about triangle centers and some of the more, not, not the, I mean, we're talking about centroid and ortho center and circumcenter. Uh, but then we start to get into some more interesting ones. And there's a lot that I want to say we're using geogebra. Um, but instead I'm just like, you know, I wonder I wonder if this is ever, I wonder if this point is ever that point. I don't know. Go, we don't have time right now. You know, go play. Uh, Instead of, oh, we're almost out of time. I need to tell you these three quick facts about (laughs) uh, the in-center or something like that. So, yeah. Because it's more meaningful, right? When they're like, oh my gosh, I I discovered something. Yeah. Right. Or the student, you know, the student answers the questions that they, that they think are meaningful and important. Um, And so, so I'm not stealing uh, that. That's actually the creation of mathematics. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're coming up with, even if they're not the first person in the world to come up with this question. Um, and, and today um, I, I, we had some extra time in class. I don't know how it happened. Um, but I said, you know what, there's one thing I've been wondering about as we drew this diagram and connected these points. I said, I wonder if we did it a different way, if we'd still get the same result, because we were uh, with these triangle centers, there's a lot of points that are, 
points of concurrency of like three things, like three medians or three angle bisectors. So then I thought, well, what if we try something else? Because everything we've done so far, it's like, guess what? These are concurrent, you know, these are concurrent, these are concurrent. So I wanted to get, I was like, let's just try. I said, this might not work, but I thought it would. And then it didn't. And I was like, well, that's okay. At least we tried, you know? And so modeling some of that uh, investigation and um, trying to be your authentic self uh, in front of your students. So, and, and relieving ourselves of the pressure, like you said, of uh, I've got to get these three important facts in before the end right. of the day. Uh, maybe those three facts will come out at the beginning of the next class after mm-hmm. they've explored and played with it and come back with their own questions or their own answers. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I love that. Uh, yeah. And Tim, one, I guess one more. Oh, sorry, Dusty. I cut you no, off. No, I was just going to say it's, it's been, it's been fun. Yeah. I just yeah. wonder with like, um, so one of my mentors is Meg Meyer. She's at the university of Wisconsin and did a lot of work with math and context and things. And I would have her come into my methods class because she would run through a problem from math and context using combination charts. And every time she ran through it, she would say afterwards, like, ah, oh, somebody did it a different way. I never would have thought about that. It's like, I mean, it seems like that's also kind of the, you know, we can, you know, tell our teachers, like, it's a way to also make things exciting. Like, do you want to teach the same lesson over and over again every year? Like versus like, wow, who knows what could happen this time? You know, it's like a, a great movie where a different ending could pop up every day. It's like, it seems so exciting that way to, to, to want to teach that way. Yeah. And it, it gets back into that experiential thing that we were talking about earlier, because uh, the pre-service teachers, uh, we could walk in and say, here's a, here's a, a visual pattern or here's a task and here are five different representations or ways to do that. Uh, but to see the excitement when they have those aha moments that they've come up with different ways mm-hmm. that are equivalent to each other or that lead to the same solution or lead to different aspects. Uh, I think that's when they start to realize, wow, my mathematics classroom that I'm envisioning in the future when I'm the teacher could be like this. My students could come up with different things too. If I'm sitting around here with my peers and we're all coming up with different solutions that I'd never thought of, maybe my kids will too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right, Tim. So part of winning the Nadine Bezuk <laughs> Excellence in Leadership and Service Award is that you gave a talk yeah. at the annual conference and so tell those that couldn't be there about your talk. Now, I'll be honest, I, I had just, I stepped into leadership and I think I was taking care of some of my leadership roles while yep. this talk was happening. So I missed it as well. But so tell us about your talk. A lot of people were talking about it. And, and what message did you want to share? Sure. Uh, well, as I've said multiple times, I think Dusty heard me say this at some point or the talk that if, if I had been asked to give a talk on symmetry and art and architecture, in Italy, I'm golden. <laughs> um, if it were about students, students' mathematical thinking or about multiple representations of visual patterns or pre-service teachers' understanding of proof or professional development within service teachers, we could put together a talk. <laughs> but I have to tell you that conceiving of and thinking about giving a talk on service and leadership was a bit daunting for me. Mm. Um, I didn't really know how to approach it. Uh, and I thought about the quote that we all know from Isaac Newton. So if I've seen further, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. That may not be word for word, but it's the, that we always remember the phrase standing on shoulders of giants, right? Uh, and Lynn Arthur Steen used that uh, 
couple of decades ago when he started looking at mathematics and changing ways of mathematics education. Uh, but I thought about that and I said, hmm, what if we could reach out to some of our colleagues in mathematics teacher education and find out what they think about service and leadership? Uh, I will be perfectly honest with you. I was scrambling and just trying to come up with ways to help me put together a good talk <laughs> or at least a reasonable talk. I was not expecting to get such a huge response. Uh, 40 people either responded to the survey or did a Zoom sort of interview with me. Um, and that was about a 38% response rate. Uh, and yes, Randy Phillip was sitting in the talk trying to calculate quickly exactly how many people I sent the survey out to then, if that's his <laughs> response rate. Uh, but, uh, but that means there was a huge amount of data. I didn't really conceive of it as mm -hmm. data at first. I was not thinking of this as a research project. I was just wanting to get some people's ideas to help for this talk. Uh, what I learned, I guess, and I tried to share in the talk was that, um, one, this seems so obvious, but people in mathematics teacher education right now, I think, want to have conversations about what service means in our field and why it's important. Um, I didn't really think about that uh, consciously uh, before all of this, that, that maybe as a profession, we need to have some open conversations about the role of service and what service means in mathematics teacher education. Um, so I think I was surprised not only by the um, number of responses, but by the things that they said in the responses that said having this type of conversation is important for us. Um, I think another theme that, that persisted in the data that I was able to look through is that um, perhaps we need to do a better job of articulating as a discipline how central service is to our academic mission as mathematics teacher educators. Um, I don't know if that sounds like a startling idea or not. Uh, most of us are who are faculty and higher ed institutions. We have faculty role models. We know that those role models include teaching, research or scholarly productivity, service, which could be anywhere from service to the department, to the college, to the profession, uh, and then advising and mentoring. Those are the typical types of categories that are in most of our faculty role models. And um, in, in many instances, we consider service as sort of third tier, if you will, yeah. after either re research and or teaching being one and two in some order. And I think with mathematics teacher education, we can't relegate things to tears, uh, that we can't do our teaching and we can't do our scholarly involvement unless we're also doing service. Uh, I think they're intricately tied together. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Does that sound like a really bizarre idea to you? I'm curious. I want to throw it back at you. I, got, I, I hope I'm allowed to do that. No, yeah, I'm you doing it. Totally do that. <laughs> Dusty, what do you think? I'm going to throw it at Dusty first. <laughs> Um, I was, my mind was all over the place. Um, well, I go, I, I'll go and I'll give, <laughs> I'll give Dusty some think time. <laughs> Thank you. No, well, I, you know, I was thinking about that. Uh, we just, just had two, uh, graduate students in here right before this. They're talking about this project where they wanted to look at problem solving, where they're looking at, um, at student language as an asset. 
uh, and they had, and they're, they just got done with their undergraduate. So they're fresh off of student teaching and stuff. They just jumped into a master's degree, but they had this project that they wanted to completely do. And so what they, you know, and so I'm helping them do it and really guide on the, totally guide on the side, just helping them do it. But they're going out into the um, local schools where they did their student teaching. They're trying out some problem solving lessons that they've developed. They're really focusing on using these assets that students are bringing to the classroom, working with teachers, giving the teachers a little bit of a break while they're doing this project. And then the teachers are learning something. So it's like, there's professional development going on, there's service going on, there's research going on. And then, you know, we're got some money in order to get them uh, some books. And now we have some potential for doing some more learning going around, around these books, uh, like reimagining the math classroom from uh, you know, that we did on this podcast with a book club. Mm-hmm. But I mean, all mm-hmm. these sorts of things. And, and, and yeah, like Tim, like you're saying, it's like all this overlapping and it's like one, it's, it's efficient, right? <laughs> like we're like all this stuff happening at the same time, but two, like, how could, how could you pull that up? I mean, how can you pull that apart and do that? No, this is just research. No, this is just service. This is, you know, it, there, it seems like it, you have all this overlap going on. I don't know. It, it seems the best way to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess mathematically we've treated these types of categories in our faculty role model as more of like pigeonhole principles. Mm-hmm. We've got to put it somewhere and we can only put it in one place uh, and it really needs to be in multiple places. I, I want to be careful. I'm not saying that, I, I tried to say this at, in the talk, is that I'm not saying that our colleagues in other disciplines don't view their teaching and scholarship as being service to the betterment of society. Absolutely they do. Uh, when someone is discovering a new drug uh, that's going to help provide a cure or cure symptoms of various sorts, of course that's a service to our society. Right. Um, but I think in a, I think in a really unique way, I, it, maybe it could be in any teacher ed discipline, but I honestly don't see it in other disciplines as much as I see it in our field of mathematics teacher education. And I hope that's not because I just have tunnel vision, but I see within mathematics teacher education, we really intricately weave, we build off the synergy of teaching and research and service being woven together the way that you just described Joel. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for giving me some time to organize my thoughts there, Joel. Um, no problem. So I think that sure. um, I, I really like what you said uh, just now, Tim, and then also in your talk about um, how service is really a part of what we do as mathematics teacher educators. Um, and we tend to, you know, pigeonhole or partition our, our uh, work into this was, this was research time. This was teaching time. This was service time. I just got done reading uh, uh, an article um, about how Ava Thanheiser uses uh, her teaching as this context for her research that she does. And so, you know, and, and is that not service? You know, how do we, how do we overlay that? So uh, in particular, I'm thinking one of the directions my head was going was thinking about, some proposed changes to some policies at my institution about what um, about the tenure and promotion process and and teaching and research and service are all components of that mm-hmm. and uh, just thinking about how how we think it, what what is service is service the stuff that I'm going to do later that I don't do much when I'm an assistant professor because I need to focus on research and teaching and so service becomes one of those 
like side things. Like it doesn't really matter if I was on this committee or if I showed up to this meeting, we just had to have some warm bodies in the room. But I think really service Joel was what you were talking about where uh, these, these graduate students are going out into the classroom. They're working, they're helping teachers, they're helping students. I mean, what, what does service mean, but Mm -hmm. to, 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 you know, give a little bit of yourself to help someone else and that's really core to my, you know, my mission, <laughs> my yeah. mission in life uh, is to is to help other people. Um, and so so it's really, uh, Tim, I like the perspective that you have that this may be something that is kind of ingrained or, you know, woven into our discipline. And maybe we just need to try to discover that or tease that out or identify that. I, I think so. And it, it is true. Uh, some people who responded to the survey uh, and I I maybe I've known this, uh, I should know it. I'm actually chairing our campus wide here at Meredith college. I'm chairing our tenure and promotion committee this year. So these issues are fairly present in my mm-hmm. mind. Uh, but, uh, some people spoke to the fact that at their institutions, their service, they're being told, Hmm, why don't you wait? You don't need to be doing that now. You need to be working on your scholarship and your teaching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's not being understood is that I can't do my scholarship and teaching unless I'm doing this service. Mm-hmm. And so they're feeling very conflicted because they need to do that service. They recognize how important that service is, how much it's woven in the way that you described Joel in that situation to, to them being able to, explore their scholarship, their research, uh, but they're not being valued the same. Uh, and so I think we, we need to do a better job of teasing that out or, or uh, being able to articulate examples of why this is important so that we can share that back with our institutions and maybe work towards some more systemic change at our institutions. Uh, yeah, I think last year yeah. we had, when we had Dorothy White and um, Marta Seville coming on and they talked about hanging out in classrooms. I mean, and those probably initially start out, this is, I'm, I'm serving these spaces. I'm not, but then all of a sudden like something emerges like, Oh, there's an opportunity to do some research or something related to this experience. But it most often is like, I'm going to hang out. I'm going to be, I'm going to be of service to this space. And then we'll see what, what happens from there. So um, yeah, Tim, you I love that. You're great. You know, what's, you know, what's beautiful about this dusty is like, is we're, we're bringing Tim on to talk about, you know, we're kind of trying to shine a light on him service for this award. And then, and even with his talk, a little bit of a light, but what does he do? He does he like, how can we shine a light, lift the voices of other? And then you, I mean, you're serving through, I mean, Holy cow. Yeah. What an example, Tim. It's just, you're, it's great. you're a mirror ball, Tim. Yeah. You're just, uh, <laughs> are you telling me I'm a 1970s disco ball? Is yeah, that that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh. <laughs> oh, hey, I, you know, something that did not come out in my talk, uh, one, because as Dusty knows, he was there, I, is with most talks that I do, I have way too much material for the time contained. <laughs> I, I, I'm always amazed. I don't know if he, either of you do this well, but I'm always amazed when someone has exactly the right amount of material to fill up the time and space. Um, yeah. I never do that. And I always overshoot it. So at some point I said, okay, folks, close your eyes. And we fast forwarded to a few slides. Um, one of the things that came out that was really interesting was that People who responded said that they thought this was a moment in time. And that really stuck out in my mind. Uh, 
both when I was preparing for the talk and then when I got to AMT and went to the opening plenary session and heard those five uh, junior mathematics education fact, well, not all junior, I think some of them were mid-career, but talking about their research and their work and how this is a very uh, a moment in time where we can change direction and course it's an important moment for us in mathematics teacher education and that was something that many of the respondents spoke to that they felt like this was uh, maybe because of the pandemic uh, not entirely because of the pandemic maybe the pandemic has uh, made has sort of laid bare, if you will, some of the issues that we have known in education and supportive teachers and supportive students that we really need to work on. Uh, and so they felt it was sort of an important point in time. Someone called it an inflection point, which mm -hmm. is a mathematician I love, right? Yeah. Uh, that which way are we going to bend? How are we going to meet this challenge moving forward? Uh, one of those I, I found interesting and I I think it's really an interesting topic for us to consider. Uh, they spoke to how over the last 20 years, mathematics teacher education has come to embrace and address issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, DEIJ, if you will. I've heard all sorts of acronyms being used. Mm -hmm. uh, but and, and how wonderful that has been that our mathematics teacher education community has uh, opened our lenses and our perspectives more on diversity and equity and justice. But they were also concerned, is this just going to be another one of those math education research fads that comes and goes? Or are we going to be able to move forward as a profession on multiple fronts and find a way to realize that this orientation towards equity, towards justice, towards diversity, towards access or inclusion should be a part of whatever we're doing, whether we're researching mm -hmm. students' mathematical thinking or if we're researching the use of technology and teaching and learning mathematics uh, or the role of noticing uh, as a beginning teacher that we can't ignore issues of diversity, equity, and justice. Um, but they become part of the natural orientation of what we do. Um, so I think that was, that was something that, that people were very concerned about as well. Yeah. Like, is it a, like a, like a, a light that's been switched on. And so now that we, we can see things from that perspective or, or lenses that we put on whatever metaphor we want to use and that right. it, it stays on. And so like, you know, I was just thinking I'd worked on a research project on, um, learning trajectories and thinking about exponential functions, Amy Ellis's uh, career grant. And I remember thinking like, you know, having that lens was like, well, if we have a better understanding of how kids develop their thinking around exponential functions, we can recognize the assets their kids are being on the kind. We can recognize some brilliance and like, and how do we move them kids forward uh, and thinking about the different ways that they're thinking about this and how do we help them help each other and open up spaces. So I don't know, like, yeah, it's, I, I, I like to think that way, Tim. I like to think that we're we're that's just a part of of what we're we're doing, and we need to celebrate that and keep moving forward with it, and keep keep that keep those lenses on, right? Yeah. Um, and the last thing I guess I'll share from the talk was that, uh, well, two things is that uh, I have a mountain of data now, <laughs> uh, and it seems really. Uh, 
it would seem a tragic loss if, if those data just sat on my Google Drive mm, <laughs> and yeah. we didn't do anything with them. So I am actually working with some folks. Uh, we're going to see if we can pull together a team of folks and maybe explore more broadly, maybe come back and, and ask our mathematics teacher education community if they would like to add to the survey results that we already have and, and, and do a little bit deeper analysis and a deeper dive into those data and uh, maybe that can help us generate a broader conversation about service nice. uh, and provide some more insights. Um, the second thing is that, uh, and I said this at the talk, I was surprised at the number of people who said they were curious about who's going to be the next fill in the blank. Who's going to be the next Dusty Jones? Who's going to be the next Joel Amadon? Mm. I think in the talk, I, you, you know, it's one of those things, filling in that blank really depends on your personal perspective of who has meant something to you, who you think mm -hmm. has influenced the field of mathematics education in a meaningful way. Uh, I think an easy one, I, I said, who is the next Skip Fennell? Because that was one of the examples given, and Skip has certainly been one that has been an influencer in mathematics education over the years. Uh, but I, I found it interesting that, that people kept wondering who's going to be the next so-and-so. Yeah. Um, and if Dusty, if you remember this, I tried to turn it around. I don't know if it was artful or not at the end and say, I'm more curious about who's going to be the next you. Mm -hmm. uh, who is going to be the next Dusty? Who's going to be the next Joel? Uh, who's going to be the next person who's listening to this podcast? Um, as we stay in the field longer, it seems that people said the reason that they do service one is because way dusty mentioned a few minutes ago it's part of his orientation of who he is as the person mm -hmm. he wants to help that's part of who his uh sort of his life identity is is he wants to help others uh, but also as people progressed in the profession they said that part of the reason they want to do service is to help other people move forward in their professional trajectory to elevate other people's voices, uh, to help other people come along in the profession. Um, and if that's going to happen, then I would like for us to all think about who's going to be the next you. Mm -hmm. I Tim, that. I really like that. And, uh, you, you did do it artfully, um, in the talking and, and just now, uh, and it really ties back to some of that advice that you would give people to be authentic, to be your true self. You know, uh, Skip Fennell's a great person, but I don't know that I don't know that we need to replicate Skip Fennell's, and no. and I don't mean that as a in any, with any disrespect at all. Uh, but he's a unique person, and so are the rest of us. And so, how can we use our true self to uh, to serve the community and to do those things that we're passionate about, and and to um, to move the field forward? Right. And you, uh, you're right. Skip is a unique person who made unique contributions. And he was the person who was needed to make those contributions at that time. Mm -hmm. And who is the person or who are the people that we need to make those contributions in this moment in time, this place where we're bending? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, kind of going full circle back to some of your thinking about you know, wanting to in, move away from the teaching of math where you just like teaching yourself or replicating yourself and like thinking about that versus now like thinking about not replicating yourself within a service organization. Cause think about, I mean, I, I would not want to be a part of a service organization, but there's a bunch of Joel Amadons running around that, that probably wouldn't, that would, that would not be a good, I mean, I, <laughs> not be good. I, we need to have, I we need to have that, each other. Right. 
Yeah, we do. And I think having a bunch of Joel Amadons would be quite a hoot, personally. I think it would be a lot of fun. <laughs> we get <laughs> old fast, yeah. It would get very old fast. <laughs> uh, well, it's like that it's situation. You know, Nadine, I learned so much from Nadine Bazook as previous executive director. Uh, she taught me a tremendous amount about getting things done. Uh, and But I'm not Nadine, and we have different personalities and mm-hmm. different strengths and uh and Sherry Stacaro is doing a phenomenal job as our new executive director in AMT. Uh, she, I don't know that she's forgiven me yet for turning the reins over to her right as the pandemic started. <laughs> yeah. uh, there you go. Right to, so. to your credit, you didn't know. Uh, <laughs> yes, so. to my credit, I did not know. Um, but my goodness, uh, she has done a fantastic job and she brings different strengths than I have. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's part of the 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 beauty of the tapestry if you will of of our field nice well that brings us to uh one of our final questions is uh how do you get things done tim so i mean your executive <laughs> director how, how do you manage it all um sometimes well sometimes not very well how's that there you go um, i i, I I want to say this on Sherry's behalf too, as well as not just for myself and Nadine and Judith, the ones who have done it before, but AMT has grown a lot in the last mm-hmm. 25 to 30 mm-hmm. years since its inception. Uh, by the time I left that position, it probably should have been a full-time job and it should be a full-time job now. Mm-hmm. And Sherry is doing it basically on a course release and a small stipend. Um, and it's really amazing if you think the, the ways that AMT has, uh, stretched our fingers throughout the field of mathematics, teacher education, uh, to be involved in different initiatives. And, uh, uh, the fact that she's doing that not as a full-time job is pretty amazing, um, but I'll be honest, and you can ask some of the folks that when I was doing it, uh, some of my management style is that I uh, attend to the fire that burns brightest at my feet. <laughs> if you ask Susan Gay, she was probably spending a good chunk of time how to, uh, trying to figure out exactly how to make the fire burn brightest at my feet. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that for many of us who are involved in so many different things, uh, this is not uncommon among us as mathematics teacher educators. We multitask. We have lots of things going on uh, in our professional lives, in our personal lives, in our community lives. And uh, some people are excellent at managing and organizing all of that. And some people are not. And some of us are sort of stuck in between. Um, I, I will admit I'm still learning to prioritize. I don't know about you guys, but that's something I still, 20-some years into my career, I'm still learning to prioritize. Gosh, uh, Glenn Waddell at University of Nevada, Reno, gave me some advice. I told him over the holidays that I was looking for sort of a to-do software, and he gave me his recommendation of one, which is, I don't know if I'm supposed to mention brand names of any sort Go of for it. Yeah. to-doist. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a bunch of them out there, and some of them, you know, they're all preference-driven. But uh, that's been working for me in the way that it worked for Glenn as well. It's been very helpful for me because it did one of those things that Nadine taught me about. Nadine taught me that it was helpful to do a brain dump. Do you guys know what I mean by oh, brain yeah, dump? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to not let it all sit here and swell, just to get it all out on paper, get it all out on computer, get 
didn't matter what the list was or how well it was written, just to get it all out. And then you can sort it and organize yeah. a little bit later. Uh, and I think doing that brain dump has really helped. Um, I think not beating myself up. Uh, I think I used to beat myself up a lot when I didn't get something done. And I wanted to get these five things done and I would get four of them done and not the five. And instead of celebrating that I got four of those big tasks done, I spent time beating myself up over why I didn't get the fifth thing done. Mm. Um, and I've been a lot more productive when I say, hey, I got four things done. What didn't mm. I get done? Okay, let's figure out yeah. how we might need to rethink how to get that done. Right. Uh, so I, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, or just, that's good. Uh, yeah. Throwing out lots of things here. But I still, it, in the end, I probably still attend to the fire that burns brightest at my feet. <laughs> well, no, I've, we appreciate the honesty. That's, that's good. And like even just the little things like the, you know, that you're still seeking out ways to, to prioritize and do things and the brain, those are all good things. Excellent. Um, Tim, one final question, anything to promote? I know you've been doing Gosh. a little bit of work with get the facts out and we've done a little, some podcasts with get the facts out. And I appreciate you coming to our affiliate meeting last spring to talk about get the facts out. So we'll link to some podcasts that, that talk about that with Gary and, uh, Gene, uh, they, they talked about that extensively, but anything else? Oh, gosh, uh, that would be the first thing that I would mention is get the facts out. Uh, that's uh, been a huge partnership for AMT in the last year and a half, uh, and it's continuing to grow. Uh, for those who don't know, get the uh, facts out is a project through the Colorado School of Mines. It's an NSF-funded project uh, started by folks in the physics ed world. Uh, and pulled in folks in chemistry education and mathematics education. And um, uh, they came to us to see if we wanted to be the mathematics partner. And they said, are you concerned about teacher recruitment and retention? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty much our job, uh, part of our jobs at least. Uh, so I think that's been really something that's important the uh, for those of you who were there, we had a one-day pre-conference, the MTEP mm. uh, and the Get the Facts Out sort of combined to do a pre-conference day, and that was, I think, very informative. Uh, really, anything else to promote? Uh, look, yeah, I will say this. I, I think I mentioned this actually in the talk, too. Uh, I think one of the things that's changed over the course of the last 20 years has been not just the mathematics teacher education community, but the broader mathematical sciences community. Um, one way of looking at the broader mathematical sciences community is uh, the Conference Board of Mathematical Sciences, CBMS. And CBMS now has CBMS, for those who don't know, is an umbrella organization uh, comprised of all of the professional societies and mathematics, mathematics-related disciplines and mathematics education, pretty much in the, that are national organizations in the country. And um, maybe 10 to 12 years ago, CBMS concentrated their energies largely on research mathematics, which was not bad. It's a good thing. They support a lot of what goes on in research mathematics. Uh, but over the last 10 to 12 years, they've been having lots more conversations about teaching and learning mathematics, the active learning statement that came out a few years ago. Uh, and uh, this past year just uh, voted on an, a, a statement of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And our uh, and we see other organizations with 
some of the member organizations within uh, CBMS, for example, the American Mathematical Society, largely our research mathematicians, uh, came out with a huge statement on racism in the last year. So I think there's, uh, I think there's some change uh, happening in the broader mathematical sciences community, looking more seriously at teaching and learning and the environments that we create to do that. And so I think that's something I would encourage folks to look out for. Nice. Yes. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you for your time. Um, we appreciate it. Dusty, any final words from you? No, just uh, this is a great conversation, Tim. I uh, really appreciate your your yeah. service and your leadership and uh, well-deserved award. And oh. uh, look forward to talking to you more later. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank both of you, both not only for the things that you do for AMTE, uh, speaking to the former vice president of communications and the incoming <laughs> vice president of communications. Uh, but thank you specifically for what you guys do with the teaching mathematics uh, teachers broadcast. I think TMT podcast has been really uh, something that's lifted the spirits as well as been informative for our, uh, our community in the last couple of years. And so thank you guys for taking this on and, and uh, just letting it blossom. Oh, thanks, Tim. Yeah, thanks, Tim. And I know, uh, you know, Ava's out there listening to and like, she's the one that, oh, you know, yeah. like, basically, like, you know, we should do that. And she's like, well, we're going to do it. We're going to start recording. <laughs> like, all right. All right. <laughs> she took the lead. I remember that. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was great. Right. And Ava's a go-getter. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, and also, too, and we'll promote, and I think we're going to do some episodes on it, like, for opportunities for people to to serve. Like, there's a volunteer form that AMT puts out, and then we're looking at that volunteer, and that's a way to get into, you know, committees and other ways to to serve on in AMT, but then also to keep a lookout for places locally, either through affiliates or even through local school districts and whatnot. Let's, uh, let's kind of take that charge. So thanks again, Tim. Thanks again for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. We hope that you're able to take action on something you just heard and interact with other math teacher educators. I think Tim would have liked that.